Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who is excited for church this morning? Come on. If we have not met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bold six years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people can explore their faith. And then before we begin, I just need a, a quick caveat. Uh, there are two times during the year, they say, that if you invite a friend to church, nine out of ten times they won't say no. Those two times during the year are, are Easter, and guess what the second one is? Christmas. That means you got four weeks to invite your friends, your relatives. And I'm telling you, we have an amazing Christmas service planned for you guys. And I'm telling you, it will change not only your life. It's going to give you hope for this holiday season. But there may be someone in your life that God has placed you in their life that you may be the only Christian they ever meet. And they're one invitation away from meeting God, and that's through you. So I want to ask that you would pray. Who are you going to invite and uh, today, we, I'm super excited because we're kicking off a brand new collection of talks called Do It In Our Day. And uh, there, there was this, this, this sermon series, this collection of talks, was really birthed out of a season of depression in my heart. Uh, and I'll, I'll share some of that story as I preach, but I've been waiting 18 months, 18 months to preach this sermon. And uh, we're going to walk through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, there's, don't worry, there's nothing in my throat. That's the name of the book. Some of you didn't know that. Some of you are super nerdy. It's Habakkuk, and nobody cares the pronunciation, actually. Uh, but it's a, it's a book of the Bible. If you've never read it before, just go to the book of Matthew, turn 10 pages to the left, and you'll find it. It's a little hint for some of you, but if you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. It's on the screen, and when you see it, somebody shout, amen. amen. The prophecy that Habakkuk, for some of you that are super grammar, Habakkuk, the prophet received. And the reason why I want to pause right here is you need to know the words he's about to pray, the words he's going to say are shocking. He's going to come after God in a moment. And he's going to model what we do when we're depressed, when we're angry, when we're frustrated with God. Some of you need to take your holy whitewashed prayers and leave them at home and bring the real you to God. If you haven't yelled at God, maybe you're not friends with him. And watch what this man says. Listen, this man is paid to be good. This man is living is to pray. His, his job is to preach and spend time with God. He's not good for nothing like you guys. He's actually paid to be good. And yet, wait till you read his prayer. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help? murder police before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place. Law and order fall to pieces. Justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its. I know exactly what this guy's praying because I've been there myself. Uh, our church began on a couch surrounded by a coffee table with chips and sauce because we're super spiritual in this church. And we grew from seven people to 200 in less than two years. It was a move of God. I, I, 
and th- you got to realize, this is the most unchurched region in the entire country. There are, this is a, a graveyard for church planning. 96 to 98% of, the, of Silicon Valley is unchurched, and yet there was a church that launched at Santana Row. You can get Gucci and Jesus in the same day. And we, we were reaching people who were far from God. And then COVID happened. And this church of 200, we went online and Netflix for 60 weeks. And then when we returned, we, we couldn't go back to the hotel. We had to, we had to meet at 5 o'clock. And I, I expected the first service, this first public gathering for 200 people to show up. We grew to 65 people. We can laugh now, but I was wanting to look for my gun when I got home. And then what, what, what I thought would be a few weeks, maybe a few months at 5 o'clock, turned into two years. And it was during that season where I kept knocking. I knocked on 94 doors in this city looking for a place to do church. Imagine how many times I heard no, and I'd go home. It didn't matter what that guy said. I would go home and say, God, are you seeing what we're going through? Are you even hearing our prayers? We're not like selling drugs. Help a brother out. And it seemed like our prayers, especially mine, were going to deaf ears. And it was in that season, I'm like, God, do I even continue? Do you want me to keep pastoring? And I wonder how many of you this morning, there's an issue in your life, maybe a loved one who's sick, maybe a a parent that you have not reconciled with, a a financial issue that you've been praying, wanting it to be resolved, and you're wondering, God, do you have to hear my prayers? And if we're honest this morning, all of us go through this season, and the title of my sermon is this, where we question in God. It's a normal part of Christianity. Some of you need to take that religious hat off where you whitewash your prayers and think, how art thou, God? It's like, no, bro, where are you? Do you even hear my prayers? And he's not going to throw lightning at you, by the way. He would rather have you yell at him than walk away from him. So let's pray, because this is one of those messages that's going to be a little heavy today. But we need it. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, I pray that we would be real. God, in spite, maybe we have 99 problems, but God, you aren't one of them. God, we would pray to you, we'd cry out to you, we'd yell at you, God, and we'd never walk away. God, teach us how to live this faith, God, in seasons of life that are not easy and difficult. We walked in one way, God, but we want to walk out another. And if you believe that, everybody said, everybody said, can we just give it for Jesus real quick? Come on. Quick caveat before I begin. Every sermon that I preach, I, I have a, a, an idea where I want to bring tension. I want to create a problem. I want to talk about something that we all deal with. And at some point in the first two minutes, I want you to say, oh, yeah, me too. I want you to say just to relate to the problem. And I'm creating tension, and it creates a desire for the solution. And in every sermon, I resolve that tension by showing you what God's word says to that problem that we're all facing. There's a difference, though, with today's sermon. I'm not going to resolve your problem. And uh, Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor of the largest church in America, I've read almost all of his books, listened to dozens of his leadership podcasts and his sermons, and he says the typical sermon is what's called a sitcom sermon. A sitcom is 30 minutes, and you know it does not matter what, what, what show you watch, whether it's The Office or Friends or NCIU. There's always a problem, drama, and it's solved at the end. Every episode, 
There's this tension. Who killed this guy? There's this drama between people. By the end of the 30 minutes, before you go home the next day, the problem is solved. Don't you wish life worked that way? 30 minutes and your marriage gets healed. 30 minutes and the diet of all the extra food you've been eating the last week go away. Amen? Then in 30 minutes, the depression goes away. In 30 minutes, your parents, who have not spoken in years, that gets solved. Let me tell you, there are some problems in life that never get fixed this side of heaven. Anybody thankful they came to church this morning? (laughs) And the reality is there are some issues that won't be fixed in 30 minutes, 30 days, 30 months, and dare I say even 30 years. Which is why theologian and teacher Henry Blackaby, in his book, Experiencing God, describes this pain and frustration that we all feel sometimes in life. It's called the crisis of faith. And a crisis of faith is defined as this. Frustration over what we think God should. Someone say should. There's an expectation. This is what I want God to do versus what God allows to happen. I wanted this, but God did this. And that gap pisses us off. Because you're supposed to be good. You're supposed to have my back. I expect you to do this, but why did you do this? And the greater the gap, the greater the crisis of faith. And preparing for this message, I, I just read stories online of crazy testimonies of, of this one father who's in his car with his 10-year-old daughter, and a big rig drives by and kicks up a four-inch rock, and it hits the father's truck, breaks through the windshield, strikes the girl in the head, and she dies instantly. And the question is, is that a freak accident or is that a failure on God's part? God, you shouldn't have allowed that to happen, but you did. I'm so frustrated with you, God. Or the couples in this church that my wife and I have prayed for dozens upon dozens of times who have tried year after year, month after month to have a child. It's not like they're not walking with God. They serve, they give, they're in the house of God each week, and yet they, no matter how often they pray, they can't conceive. And their pain is only magnified in a culture that not only celebrates abortion, but basks in it. When some parents don't even want their kids and discard them, there are parents in this room that are begging God for a child and can't have one. And they look to me and say, Pastor Ali, that's not fair. There are parents in this room that, if you're honest this morning, you you took Proverbs 22, 6 to heart. Raise a child in the way he should go, and when he departs, he will not depart from it. And you brought your kid every Sunday to church. And when he turned 18, he, he left and never came back. He said, God, I, I did everything you asked me to do. You should have done this. Why, God? And there's others of you that, man, you've been faithful with God with the tithe. And the last three years have been the hardest financial three years of your life. And what do you do when what you see and what you feel God should be doing doesn't match up? That's why I love the the, the words of Paul. He's not the only one going through this. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 9, he says this. It's on your screen. For we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. And then going down to verse 10, and he says, I believe, therefore I spoke. And what he's modeling for us, and Habakkuk's going to show us the same thing. You do not declare the goodness of God based on your circumstance. 
You declare God's goodness based on who he is. In spite of what I see, my confession won't be robbed on who God is. And that's the power. That's what happens when you walk with God. You're never going to see God's goodness sometimes. You're going to walk through seasons where, where everything that you see is not very good. Everything you see is, is, is the opposite of good. And it will cause you to question his love for you. And I would challenge you, it's not just a crisis of faith. I wrote like this, it's a crisis of love. God, if you love me, you wouldn't have allowed, and you fill in the blank. Maybe it's a, a parent who passed away. Maybe it's a, a sibling who, who has betrayed you or a friend who gossiped about you and the job that you were passed over for, the house that all of your friends are buying except for you, and it's in those moments where when we don't get what we think we should, it's not that we just have a crisis of faith. We begin to wonder, does God even love me? Which is why I love that third song that we sang by Brandon Lake. I'm not going to sing it because some of you will leave the faith when you hear me sing. It says, we've seen cancer disappear. We've seen broken bodies healed. Don't you tell me he won't do it. We've seen real life resurrection. We've seen mental health restored. Don't you tell me he won't do it. I've been on mission trips with couples who have not had children for five years, and God gave me a word of knowledge for them, saying, you've been praying for a child, and you haven't had one. Today's the day God's going to answer that prayer. And this couple who for five years was childless, today they have three children. Because God does it. He's a still a miracle-working God. But I've gone to hospitals and prayed with people for cancer. And they passed away. I've been in the room where my own father died of COVID complications. And my prayers could not save him. I've been in the room with couples that are on the verge of divorce that should not have been divorced. And I've seen men with addictions that they should have overcome. I've prayed for those miracles and seen things heal. But I've seen it time and time again where God doesn't heal. Where God doesn't show up. I prayed for the miracle and it and it didn't happen. And if you've never had that crisis of faith where you expect God to do this, and he does it and does that. If you have not experienced that yet, you must be living under a rock. Because the rest of us, we've all been angry with God at times. But some of us have been afraid to verbalize what we've been feeling. And I love that Habakkuk, he's a real one. He yells at God. He shouts at God, and he models what you do when you are having a crisis of faith. You trust him anyways. I wrote it like this. When I see, when what I see or what I feel doesn't seem to align with what I know or think I know about God, I've got to remind myself that God is good even when life is not Man, I, I, I don't know how many times I have had to lean on this principle because there have been men in this church that I've prayed with to get free from porn only for that addiction to come back and destroy all of their relationships. I've seen men in this room break free of drugs, cocaine, weed, only to hang around the wrong crowd and get sucked back in the very thing that God saved them from. I've seen spouses pray who aren't married to another unbeliever and pray every week, every month, every year that this would be the year that their spouse gets saved and it doesn't happen. I've been... In the rooms with crying spouses when a partner has cheated on them. And they have every biblical right to end the marriage, but they stay. And I've prayed for miracles that didn't come. And I'm trying to tell you, even when you don't see the goodness of God, he's good. 
regardless of your situation, regardless of the obstacle, the pain, the financial, he's good. Like Paul, I believe, therefore, even though I'm not feeling it, faith is not a feeling. It's a fact. If you want to know how good God is, look to the cross. If you want to know how much he loves you, look to the cross. Do you want to know how jacked up you are, how much it costs God to bring you home? Look to the cross. And too often we're short-sighted. We go, God, what have you done for me lately? Instead of looking back to what God did do. He died for you when you didn't deserve it. He died for you when you weren't worthy. He, he died for you when you were up in the club. Getting hyphy on Hennessy. And he still died for you. Whenever you doubt, you got to do what Paul and Habakkuk do. They look to the character of God. And for you and I as New Testament believers, we can look to the cross. That regardless of what I feel, I know that I know that God loves me. Amen? And this is exactly what Habakkuk does. He wrestles. He pushes God. He attacks God. And some of you are afraid to do this. Some of you are afraid to tell God how you really feel. And yet the Bible's filled with people who yell at God. And you're afraid to do it. Think of Job. This dude has everything. He, the Bible calls him the most righteous man in the Bible. The devil comes, and go, comes to God and says, look at that guy, Job. Oh, my gosh, look at him. He doesn't love you. Take away his kids. Take away his Xbox. And he'll curse you. And Satan takes, literally takes everything away. The only thing Satan leaves is his wife. What kind of wife is this that the devil goes, let's take everything. Leave her. <laughs> wow. And for 40 chapters, everyone tells Job to curse God. And he refuses. And for 40 chapters, he's yelling, God, why? God doesn't throw lightning. God doesn't even answer his question. God just shows up on the very last chapter and says, did you create the mountains and the earth? Did you set the earth in place? No, I did. There are things that I see that you don't see. I love the Psalms. Anybody love singing? The book of Psalms is 150 chapters. One in every three Psalms is a song of lament. God, why? Look at the book of Lamentations. Some of you didn't even know that was a book in the Bible. Wait till you get to heaven. Hi, I'm Jeremiah. What did you write? Oh, I wrote three books of the Bible. What? The whole book is him crying to God. Why? And even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane goes, I don't want to drink this cup. Take this away from me. And on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Complaining, lamenting to God. It's the only prayer that Jesus prays in the Bible where he does not refer to God as God the Father, but Elohim. His lament changed his prayers. Does it change yours? And this is what Habakkuk does. He wrestles with God. And I wrote like this. See, I would much rather you lament to God, question God, cry out to God, even wrestle with God, than run from him. Habakkuk is a very short book, by the way, written 600 years before Jesus. This is 2,600 years ago, but his words, man, they ring so true today. What's crazy is that every book of the Bible is God speaks to the prophet, and then the prophet writes the book to the people of God. Habakkuk is the only book in the Bible where it's written to God, and it's not written to people. This is Habakkuk's private prayer closet shown to us to read. It's not given to us. This is 
Habakkuk yelling at God in every other book of the Bible is God speaking to his people. And he's writing at a time where the people of God aren't even walking with God anymore. He's talking about how there was a time where Israel loved God, walked with God. They were a Christian nation. Now they're a Laker nation. What's up, God? And I think it's no different than what's happening in our country today. On your screen, the fastest growing religious group in America are the nuns. 40% of Americans today have no religious affiliation. I think Habakkuk could be written today and there'd be no drop-off. And there are two primary complaints that Habakkuk has. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Lord, you seem indifferent to our needs. I'm praying, but you're not answering. And you're giving me this impression, God, that either you have deaf ears or you don't care because you're so indifferent to everything that I'm crying out to you, God. Watch what he says, Habakkuk 1, verse 1. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? See the exclamation point, the question? He's questioning the goodness of God. He goes, I know you got ears. I know you can hear me, but you're not doing anything. Why? Don't you care? I know you need to be okay with questioning God. He's not going to kill you for it. He loves it. And he continues. Verse 2, verse 4. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. You should have responded by now. If you were a good God, you would have done something, God, but you haven't. Why? And then he finishes, why must you make us look at injustice? Why do you tolerate the wrong? This is so out of character for you, God. Your indifference is driving me insane. The second complaint Habakkuk has is this. Lord, you can, but you haven't yet. I know you're strong. I know you're all-powerful. I know you can, but why haven't you? You're tolerating what you shouldn't tolerate. You're allowing what you shouldn't allow. God, I know you can, but why haven't you? You should fix this, but you haven't. And back at 2 verse 4, the next verse says this. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. And even though this was written 2,600 years ago, it could have been written to America today. And the last verse that Habakkuk says is, Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. God, it feels like the non-believers have a better life than the believers. God, what I'm seeing doesn't make sense. What I'm seeing you not do doesn't make sense. What you're allowing, God, does not make sense. And I have three questions for some of you who are in a crisis of faith right now. Can it be true that God is good even when life doesn't make sense? Can it be true that God is who he says he is, even when he seems to be indifferent? And this third one's the most challenging. Can it be true that God is good, even when our circumstances are not? And it's in these moments where we most question the character and the goodness of God, that like Paul, no matter what is going on around us, we have to declare, I believe, therefore I will confess God is good. God is good. And there are two kinds of responses I've seen as a pastor to a crisis of faith. It's on your screen. People either deny the problem or they deny God. The first one's the, the weirdest one for me. You go to the doctor and the doctor will do a blood test and be like, yeah, you have cancer. I don't speak that language. And the doctor's like, what language do you want me to say this in English or Spanish? And you're like, no, doctor, I have the language of faith. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. 
and was like, well, God may heal you, but right now the test says you have cancer. And because you deny the problem, because you can't live in a world where God gives you cancer and he's good, you deny that you have cancer and you stop going to get treatment. I can't tell you how many Christians I know that have sickness and refuse to take medicine. God's healed me. He may not heal you in this lifetime. God will heal every person of cancer. How do I know this? Because there's no cancer in heaven. You will be given a body one day with no cancer. But he doesn't promise in this lifetime. And because you can't live with the tension of both, you deny the problem. Here's my question for those of you that deny the problem. Can it be true that God is good and there be cancer in your body at the same time? Second one, though, is, is more painful for me to watch as a pastor. You deny God. Your parents divorce. You lose the business. The fiancé cuts off the relationship. The miscarriage happens again. And you're tired of God letting you down. You're tired of saying, God, I, I, you, I expected this. You should have done this. And I'm tired of you doing this. So I'm walking away. And what I would challenge you, those two are not the only two options that we have. There's a third option. And it comes from the name Habakkuk. I want you to pull Habakkuk. So turn to your neighbor and say, pull Habakkuk. The word Habakkuk literally means on your screen to embrace and to wrestle. That's literally what the name means. It means to embrace and to wrestle. And when life does not go the way you want, when what you feel and what you see doesn't line up with God, what God you think God should be doing, instead of walking away, you wrestle with God. And I wrote like this, it is fair game as a wholehearted follower of Jesus to both wrestle with God by asking hard and honest questions and at the same time embrace God by holding on to hope and never letting go of faith no matter. How do I do this? By casting your cares upon him in the middle of your cancer. By declaring God's good even when your parents get divorced. And even when the miscarriage happens, God is still faithful. God's still a God of life. Amen. I believe, therefore I confess. I want to, all week I've been wrestling with how do I get this idea of getting this idea of wrestling into your heart. I want you to look at the screen. This, this is a sermon illustration that I'm hoping will help you. This is the greatest sport of humankind, actually, right here. You are Hulk Hogan. And your problem is Andre the Giant. And even though he's in pain, he's saying, I believe I'm going to win in this lifetime or the next. Take that, stupid cancer. Take that, Laker fans. You can, t- you can. And what I, what I thought of doing instead of playing the video, I was going to show up to church. You can go over to the previous slide, not this one. What I was going to do is I want to show up to church in a wrestling singlet. I'm actually wearing one right now. And in my mind, I had this awesome sermon illustration that I was going to come out, and you were going to look at this when you saw me. Watch. Yeah, the Iron Sheik. But I realized I'm so skinny, you think I'm Borat. And if you try to get a visual, just Google Borat bathing suit. It's so awful, I can't show it at church. And your laughter is why I'm in counseling, by the way. No, I, I remember this time. Habakkuk wrestles with God, he doesn't deny the problem, he doesn't ignore God. He embraces both.
And God does something miraculous. He answers. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something. Someone say something. In your days. Someone say your days. I love that he says your days. Not your children's days. Not your grandparents' days. In your lifetime. In your generation. That you would not believe even if you were told, how many of you are ready for God to do a work of God in the Silicon Valley? Come on. That this valley would be known not just for iPhones and tech, but a third great awakening of God. Imagine all the prayers, all the fasting, all the seeking God we're after, and God finally shows up and goes, I'm going to answer that prayer. How excited would you be? And here's the problem. God might not answer that prayer the way you think he's going to. God's something may not be your something. And what I'm going to show you in this promise, in this prayer, is that God says, I'm going to give you a promise, but I'm going to give you problems too. I'm going to answer that prayer not in the way that you think I should, because I'm God. I see things you don't see. My ways are not your ways. I'm going to raise up your enemy. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to hurt you. This is the equivalent of you and I praying every week for revival, and God saying, yes, I heard your prayer, bold church. I'm going to raise up every agnostic and atheist and Laker fan in this valley in Jesus' name. And it's like, don't answer that prayer. What? That's exactly what God does. Look at this prayer. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallop headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They are like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoffers at rule and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities and buildings. Building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past them like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Imagine you're crying out to God for weeks, months, and years. Saying, God, do you hear me praying? God, do you not see what I'm going through? And God finally answers, and that's his answer. If I was Habakkuk, I would lose all will to to keep going. My question for you is this. What do you do? When God's something isn't your thing. What do you do? It's on your screen. What what do you do when God's thing isn't your thing? Next slide's this. You gotta pull Habakkuk. You wrestle and you embrace in your prayers. Habakkuk 1, verse 12 says, Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? This is the prophet speaking, questioning God's character. Aren't you supposed to be the one who created the world? Isn't the whole world supposed to be in your hand? Didn't you set, tell the sun when to go up and the moon when to go down? Aren't you in control of everything? If you are, where are you? I thought you had control of cancer. I thought you could heal my parents. I thought you could restore my family. Where aren't you the God of everlasting? Some of you are afraid to pray that prayer. This is Habakkuk, by the way, questioning God's character. And watch the very next verse. He says, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. In the very next verse, he declares the character and the goodness of God in spite of what he's feeling. He's saying, you're holy, God. There is no one like you. 
And he continues, Oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh rock, you have ordained them to punishment. And I love how he says this. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. He's not denying his pain and he's not denying his God. He is wrestling with both. Some of you need to learn to worship God in your cancer. Some of you need to learn to worship God not after your marriage gets healed, but when it's still broken. Your father may never apologize. Are you going to withhold glory to God until you see it? That's what Habakkuk's doing. He's teaching us when we question the goodness of God, when we're in these seasons where we have a crisis of faith, what do you do? And Habakkuk ends with verse 13, or he continues, you cannot tolerate wrong. Why then? God, if you're so good, if your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts, why do you tolerate the treacherous? And he ends with this, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up more than the righteous themselves? This man cries out for a solution and doesn't get one. That's why I told you at the beginning, this is not a sitcom sermon. There are many of you in this room that problem in your life has, will not be resolved by the time I'm done praying. Your marriage will still be broken when you go to the parking lot. That addiction will still be there. Your family will still be jacked up. Your boss will still be crazy. And that disease that's in either you or a loved one may or may not go away when we pray for it. What do you do when the crisis of faith comes? What do you do when God doesn't answer the way you want him to? You can deny God. You can deny the problem. Or do what Habakkuk does. He becomes Hulk Hogan. And he wrestles with God. I want to give you a verse that I believe will help some of you. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Someone say brokenhearted. This verse was written a thousand years before Jesus, which is 3,000 years ago. That word brokenhearted was the, this is the first time this word shows up in human literature. God literally invented a word to describe what many of us in this room feel. If you're an atheist or agnostic, have you ever used the word brokenhearted? You're actually quoting scripture. God bless you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you in your hospital. He's in your room when you're crying at night. He knows exactly how it is to be married to that person who does not yet know Jesus. He knows the addiction that you've been trying to shake for years. He knows about the disease in your, in your body that won't seem to go away. And he's close. He hasn't left you. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. What we're going to do for the remainder of our time, we're just going to pray and ask God to do what only he can do. Give us hope in a hopeless situation. If I get everyone to stand real quick, I just feel so led to pray for two different types of people in this room. There are some of you that would say, Pastor, I'm, there's this physical ailment that I have. There's a sickness that the doctors can't heal. 
there's someone in my life that's on life support. And I need the power of God. I need a miracle. Pastor, I've been dealing with depression for too long. I'm, I'm hanging on by the end of my rope. And with every head bowed and with every eye closed, if you're crying out to God in this season and you need him to show up, I just want you to raise your hand in front of your chest. Crawl across this room. I just want you to know you're not alone if you need a miracle. God, I pray the same prayers that Habakkuk prayed. God, we're your people. And I know you hear us. We need you to show up, God, in power. God, we need you to do what only you can do. Would you come, Lord? Would you touch us, Holy Spirit? My heart's broken, God. My body's hurting. My marriage is broken. My finances, God. There's not even an English word to describe it. And in spite of what I see, and in spite of what I feel, God, like Paul, like Habakkuk, I'm going to declare you're good. But I need a touch from heaven. I need you to come, God, speak to me. Make your presence known, God. God, it's not just a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of love. And when I doubt God, May I look to the cross as your undeniable love for me in spite of what I'm feeling and experiencing. There's another person in this room. Today's the day of your salvation. Today's the day you're going to pray to receive Jesus, your Lord and Savior. With every eye head bowed and every eye closed, I want to tell you the good news that Christianity is a religion where God knew you could never reach him, so he sent his son to reach you. And the good news of Christianity is that God did all the work so that you can be close to him. He sent his son Jesus to live a sinless and perfect life. Jesus, the Holy One, the God-man, not a prophet, not a teacher, not a, not a good dude, God in the flesh. He did what no man could do. He lived a sinless and perfect life. And he didn't come just to give us some teachings. He came to die on a cross for our sins proving his love for you. And he died for us at just the right time, not when we were his friends. Come on, somebody, when we were his enemies. And for some of you in this room, you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you want to start a relationship with the living God, I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. One. Two. Three, if that's you this morning, I want you to shoot your hand up. Amen. Amen. Just pray this prayer, everyone out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for living a sinless and perfect life, for dying in my place for my sin. I receive your free gift of salvation. I turn from my sin. 
I repent and I choose God to follow you all the days of my life on the good days and on the bad days on the painful days and the joyful days I want to wrestle with you God I want to do life with you as much as I understand now God help me follow you and everybody said everybody said come on let's go One more thing. Every December, as a church, we do this thing called the Vision Builders Offering, where we bring an offering to help accelerate what God is doing in this church. And this last year, we saw 99 people receive Christ in this church, and 21 go public with their faith. And the reason why I mention that is God did it in the ugliest building in San Jose. No one threw anything. But imagine what God could do if we could change the outside to match what God's, what God's doing on the inside. Imagine the families, imagine the marriages, imagine the addictions that could be changed, healed, and restored. If we could just create a bridge, not a barrier, because a building, every building is either a bridge or a barrier. And this building right now in its current state is more of a barrier to what God wants to do. And as a church, we're asking you to dream we're asking you to jump into what God is doing in this move. This is not a church. This is a movement of God, by the way. And imagine if we can change that to this. And this to that. And the idea is paint ain't going to save anyone. Only the gospel does. But what if we could change the outside so that people would want to come on the inside? And that's the dream is not just to paint a building, but to reach more of God's lost kids. And we don't need to paint it for us, by the way. Most of you don't complain, but most lost people, unfortunately, they judge a book by its cover, and our cover is ugly. But imagine what God could do if we made it with a spirit of excellence for His name's sake. Amen? So we did some math. This is what we're accounting the, the cost to be. And the question is, what do you want me to bring, Pastor Ali? And the question is not that everyone brings the same gift, but everyone sacrifices the same. Because there are some of you in this room, you make crazy money. And if you could bring a, a few thousand, and it wouldn't even hurt you. Some of you, you could bring a few hundred, and it wouldn't hurt you. And there are others of you, because of inflation and where our economy is right now, to bring $25 would be a massive sacrifice. Which is why we're asking everyone to pray for prayerfully consider what's the gift that you want to bring because it's not equal giving it's equal sacrifice and we're asking everyone to bring your offering next week on December 3rd all the way to January 24th I want to pray for that offering because I believe God wants to do more this next year than he's ever done in the life of our church so you can bow your heads let's pray God thank you so much that you're doing something crazy that we are in the midst of what I believe is a supernatural move of God in the most unchurched region in the country, God. We saw nine people last week go public with their faith. God, and you're just getting started. God, we believe that as we bring our offering, that as we pray to you, Jesus, what we should bring, that we would respond in faith. And if you believe that, everybody said. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. 
If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.